we're continuing our uh, series, Delicious, the Fruit of the Spirit, today. Um, we're going to be talking about patience. My father, my dear departed father, loved a saying. He said, what did he say? Patience, have it if you, patience is a virtue. Have it if you can. Seldom found in women, never found in man. And he used that to excuse himself from being nice to waitresses, which was, and it got worse as he got older. I was like, man, I, I, I really feel like we're all supposed to be patient. That's one thing about the fruit of the spirit. It's a singular. It's not the fruits of the spirit. It's fruit. One, uh, fruit of the spirit indicating that all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're supposed to have all of them. And for some of us, some of them are easier than others. Uh, in fact, probably for all of us, some of them are easier than others, but we're supposed to be developing all of them as, as a gift from the Holy Spirit to us. And so we're supposed to be patient too. Um, first, we'll look at the, we'll just look at our text and we're starting out in Galatians 5. Um, it, it says not patience. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. This is the new international version. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I understand, and we'll talk about why they say forbearance in the new international version, but it's not a great translation because normal English speakers never use the word forbearance. And so we very often don't know what that means. But I understand why they're doing it. But to understand uh, biblical patience, biblical forbearance, we need to see it in context. And so I'm going to, we're going to investigate kind of a, a representative text. This is from First Timothy, where uh, Paul is, is teaching a young pastor, Timothy, um, how to be a good pastor. And he's explaining his own experience. And, and, and his own experience is going to have, it's going to rest on biblical or divine patience. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, Messiah, Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though, listen to this, I was a blasphemer, that we don't use that word a lot, but it's someone who denigrates who God is. And in, in the ancient world, that was like capital offense. So it's something very, very offensive to God. So I was once a, va- a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. We know that before uh, uh, Saul became Paul, he was he looked on approvingly as, one of, as the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. Paul was like, yeah, get him. I was shown mercy. Paul says, because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith, the faithfulness probably, the faithfulness and love that are in Messiah Jesus. He goes on to say this. Here is a trustworthy saying. This is probably a poem or a hymn that the Christians of the of the ancient world were kind of circulating amongst themselves. He says, Messiah Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Messiah Jesus might display his what? His immense patience. That's the same word as forbearance in ours. It's macrothumia. His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's telling Timothy this not to, well, it's because he's a young pastor. 
And, and, he, and Paul wants his ministry to be good. He wants him to be a faithful pastor. And so he's like, you need to understand something about yourself, just as I've understood something about myself, that I was the worst. And I deserved something way worse than what I got. And God was patient with me. Uh, Marilyn, next slide, you can highlight that. Immensely patient with me. The, the Greek there is something like uh, extreme restraints. We'll talk about that in a second. God saw in me something, and he held back so that I could become what he was calling me to be. That immense patience there, that, that it, it's hapas uh, macrothumia. It's like extreme or everywhere, all everywhere um, patience. But patience is not quite the right word for us in English because when we think of the word patience, what we think of is waiting in line for Splash Mountain, which I guess is closed forever now, on a very hot day. This happened to me uh, just about a year ago, a little over. My, uh, my two girls and I were in line. We had been in line for about 35 minutes when the ride broke down. And it was, you know, 150 degrees, and we were out of water. And, uh, and, and then they, the, over the, the microphone, they don't say, hey, sorry about this. We'll give you a free front-of-the-line pass. And they're like, well, look, we don't know if this is going to work or not. Good luck. Uh, maybe you want to leave. Maybe you don't. It might come back on in just a few minutes. It might not. But we were, we were, we had sunk cost fallacy. We'd already spent 30 minutes. So it wasn't like we were going to get out of line. So what did we have to display? Patience. So instead of like, I was trying to model, my girls were getting mad at each other. They were like fighting, running around in the line, hanging on the, the, the uh, banisters. I'm like, no, no, no. We need to be cheerful as we wait. That's patience. Right? That's kind of what we think of as patient cheerfulness as we wait, or at least not having this inconvenience derail our entire day. Well, that is that happens in the Bible from time to time, but that is not the overwhelming use of the word macrothumia. It's not the overwhelming use of patience in the Bible. And I want to explain what the overwhelming um the way it gets used the most. And one thing we, we've noticed that we, we've heard the stories about um, Israel and Hamas this week. I have a picture here of the, the, the wall that um, Israel has around Gaza, the West Bank, um, where it's to kind of, it's, they call it a security fence. It keeps um, the Palestinians um, in Gaza. And they, in order to get into mainland Israel, they have to pass through like a security checkpoint. Um, and as we saw last weekend, that, that wall failed in, in, a, in a pretty spectacular fashion as the members of Hamas, the ruling um, government of Gaza, came into Israel and slaughtered, at least we know of so far, at least 1,300 Jews, uh, many of whom, or at least some of whom, shared dual American citizenship as well as citizenship to many other countries. And not just, these weren't soldiers, these were uh, families. They were men, women, and children. We, uh, it was unbelievable I, at the beginning when they reported that, <clears throat> that, uh, that 40 babies had been slaughtered and some of them actually decapitated. I didn't believe that. I thought that was probably, you know, the fog of war, but independent journalists on the ground saw the bodies. So that happened. I want to say one thing. Um, as Christians, we have to be free to say that this is absolutely evil. It's demonic, what happened. 
I, I get that there's um, political issues that I don't fully understand. I understand it probably sounds pretty bad to be someone who lives in Gaza, but to be a Palestinian. I'm not saying that that's not the case, but I am saying that these actions are evil, and they are the sorts of things that, that Satan wants to have happen in the world. And as Christians, we cannot... It, it, I find it, it's deeply offensive to me that um, there have been people in our country who have either tried to justify or even praise uh, what happened as some kind of justice. Um, that's sick. And we, we will not be party to that um, in this place. If you were to ask uh, the Jewish people, and even the Palestinian people, the ones who are not part of Hamas, the way that they treat each other, right? The way that they treat each other. What they would say is they would say, we hold back from what we want to do because we're hoping that the other side is going to change. Okay? What I mean is this. After Israel evacuated Gaza in 2005-06, Israel stopped, for the most part, engaging in massive military attacks. There would be times where Hamas would send rockets over and the Israelis would respond. But for the vast majority of the time, the gloves were on. My understanding is that the uh, IDF, Israeli Defense Force, is one of those powerful armies, militaries on earth. And we're seeing that now as they're bombing the heck out of out of Gaza. But for the last 20-ish years, the gloves have been on. There has been restraint. Rather than going in and just wiping uh, Gaza off the map, there has been a limited, very limited response to any type of violence. And the reason for that is the hope that at some point the innocent Palestinian people will reject the Hamas leadership and, and try a different type of, of politics. That's the hope. So what the Israelis, the way they describe what they're doing is they are, they're restraining, they're having restraint while they're waiting for change. Restraint while waiting for change. That is biblical patience. Marilyn, can we go back to the First Timothy text really quick before we uh, hit the, um, the the first thing in your note sheets? Listen to what Paul's saying, right? He's like, I was the worst. What did I deserve? I deserved God to take the gloves off. I deserved God to smite me. That's what was was required. But God didn't do that. Instead, God demonstrated what? Extreme restraint while waiting for me to change. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Biblical patience is extreme restraint while waiting for change. And that can, that should bring up some questions for us. Like, the biggest one is right now, who in your life are you, do you want to change? Right now, there's somebody here, there's somebody at home, there's somebody at work that you're hoping they will make a major change. And the question is, it, are, at what, to what extent are you restraining yourself in your, in your desire to just slap them upside the head? But here's the other thing, here's the, the, the converse. It might be, and I know that most of you are perfect, but it might be, it might be that someone in your life is hoping you will change. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> right? That's the next question. Who in your life is hoping you will change? Are you aware of it? Should you? And how should you do it? That's patience. Let's go back to uh, the text. 
Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy. Why? Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul didn't know the score. He was Saul. He thought he was doing something good, but he wasn't. He didn't know that what he was doing was, was wrong because he lacked some, some, some training. And yet the grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faithfulness and love that are in Messiah Jesus. This is one of the key things about biblical patience. We're waiting for a change, but in order for change to come, what has to happen in the person that we're being patient with? Well, here's a picture of Soren when he's mad. I think he's fake mad in this because it looks kind of cute. He's not cute when he's mad, (laughs) like really mad. We had, uh, he's, he just turned five uh, about a month ago. And uh, this week, we had a very disturbing report. He was in preschool, and it was S Day. Uh, that's the day where they introduced the letter S. For Soren, this is a really big day. Why? Because his name starts with S. And not only that, but he is able to spell the whole thing S-O-R-E-N. He can even write it, probably not in order, like the S is at the top and then the end in the corner. He hasn't figured out the, the whole uh, left to right thing. Uh, but so he's sitting in class and the teacher is like, she's like, and what, what words start with, S, that's the S now, what words start with S? And he's been waiting. He's so pumped. He's like, I know one. His arm shoots to the air right before he gets called on. The kid right next to him yells out, Soren! Oh, he'd been waiting patiently, oh, patiently. And then it was snapped away from, snatched right out from underneath him. And because he is my son, he threw a tantrum that lasted for, I, I don't know, probably 40 minutes, probably something like that. How long? I didn't get the report. I, I got the report later. Only 30. She, 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 it's her son, so she's like, it was 30. It was probably an hour and a half. Whatever the case, the, the teacher had to leave, you know, and like take him out. And then it was so bad that she came back and like, was like, hey, Here's the thing that's going on. Your son might have some impulse control issues. Um, and, uh, and so we were like, Aaron told me about this. And so when, when I saw Soren, I was like, hey, buddy, this happened. Okay, so we've got it. To, we're putting you up for adoption. It's, it's the only, I'm sorry, but you, you made a big mistake. And so you're going to reap the, co- no, that's not what we did. I love the little guy. No, instead, I, I was like, because part of it was heartbroken. I was like, dude, I know you wanted to say that. You've been, you've been so stoked about being able to spell your name. But I was like, buddy, hey, I love you. Okay. But, but this is not acceptable behavior. Just because you don't get what you want. And I agree. That, that was a bummer, dude. I'm sorry. But just because you don't get what you want doesn't mean that you can just fly off the handle and ruin everyone else's day. Do you realize that when you did that, what you were doing was <laughs> completely train wrecking the, the class for everyone else. Soren's only five. We didn't really punish him. We gave him a good talking to, set the expectations. This is how you're supposed to act. This is how you're going to act. If you don't, there will be consequences. But for right now, we understand that you're not that bright yet. 
you're only five. We didn't say that to him. Some of you, seriously, some of you are like, why do you hate your kids? Like, I love them. They're so sweet. But at the same time, I'm a parent. Gotta, gotta do the parenting thing. Um, and, and, and we understand. He, let's call it for what it is, what Paul called it. He's ignorant. He doesn't know who to trust. He doesn't know how things are supposed to be yet. But here's the thing. If we don't tell him, how is he going to change? We, I look at my son and I don't just see a five-year-old. I see my dream. My hope is for him to become some, a man of God. My dream and my hope for him is to grow up and to become faithful, to change. And, and, and I, that's who I see when I look at him. And that's exactly what God saw in Paul. That's what God sees in all of us. God doesn't see us just as miserable failures. God recognizes that we're not there yet, but God also sees the future glory we will have when we become truly like Jesus in this life and fully into the next. And as a result, God's first response is not, I'm putting you up for adoption. No, God's first response to us is to be like, I'm going to hold back, restrain myself, and I'm going to try and help you along. I'm going to try and instruct you. I'm going to try to show you that I'm worth trusting, that you can have faith in me, and that is going to lead to a better future for you and for those you love. But you can't let, he can't let us stay ignorant. He can't just keep treating us like little five-year-olds. At a certain point, he's got to educate, instruct, and we got to respond. That's the next thing your note sheets. Patience. Restraint without instruction enables bad behavior. I, I, some of us, there's, I I tend to be the one who's, who's more like, "Eh, I'll let it go. But am I like, doing the hard work of being like, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. Some of you are really good at the instruction part. You're good at the yelling, the screaming, the restraint, not so much. But those are the two sides of the biblical patience coin. So that, some questions for us. Do you have the ability to confront ignorance with knowledge and expectations? Here's the thing. You can let it go and let it go and let it go and let it go. But if you keep doing that, bad things will happen. Instead, the people in your life, you have to have the ability to sit them down with love and grace and say, this isn't right. And you need to change. I'm not going to come down on you because God didn't come down on me. But I do need to see that you understand that change is necessary. The converse. Do you ask those around you how to do better? It's really, really hard. Um, <laughs> we we had that survey that went uh, out, and it was it was interesting, you know, because like it was anonymous, and so with anonymous with anonymity, people will say whatever they were really thinking. <sighs> took a few took a few slaps there. It's fine. I, but you know what? You're probably right. I have some, some growing to, get, to do. I get that. And I think it's important that I have the courage to ask you, how am I failing? What do I need to change? But if I don't, are you able to confront me with grace, 
knowing that I'm a fellow traveler, seeing me not as I am now, but as I someday will be when God finishes his work in me, and encourage me to let me know in the ways in which you're being patient with me right now. Patience is beautiful. It is a virtue. But you can't be patient forever. God's interesting. Throughout the story of scripture, God, um, I have a friend, an Old Testament professor who likes to say, uh, God's bark is usually worse than God's bite. And that's true. There's a lot of times where God yells at Israel. Like, if you don't turn around, I am going to do something massive. I'm going to wreck you. But then he, he doesn't. He relents for the most part. And that's where the, the, the word usually, God's bark is usually worse than God's bite because God is patient. God is waiting for Israel to train, restraining himself, waiting for Israel to change. But that doesn't last forever. Look at this from Genesis 15. This is when uh, God is making a covenant with Abram or Abraham to say that you and your descendants will be my people for all time. Now, God tells Abraham, your people aren't going to be in this land. They're in the land, the promised land right now, but they're going to leave. Uh, They're not going to be here forever because there's other people here. And this is what God says. You, Abraham, will go to your ancestors. You're going to die in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God looks at the, the people of Canaan and we've talked about this before. They, they were exceedingly evil. They, um, they, they practiced child sacrifice um, and engaged in horrific uh, sexual slavery. And as a result, they were a blight. They were, they were a horror to God. And yet, and yet, God didn't. And the reason for that is that the Amorites, the, the Canaanite peoples, the various tribes, their, their sin had not reached its full measure. The Hebrew behind that is actually uh, the full measure bit. Uh, it, it's, it's really the word shalem, which is related to, interestingly, the word for peace, shalom, which we talked about last week. Uh, shalem really doesn't mean, it means like complete, whole, finished. The image that God has is like, imagine that you've got a pot, right? And you're going to make spaghetti, which I'm not supposed to eat because it has a bunch of carbs, but I miss it. You, you put the, you get the pot going and you start to put a little bit of water in, right? If you put a little bit of water in, it's not ready. It's not complete. It's not because you can't get all the, it's not going to have enough water to, to boil the, the pasta, the spaghetti. So you add a little more, add a little more. You're not done. It hasn't reached its full measure. It hasn't finished. It's not complete until you have enough water to do what you need to do with that spaghetti. As the water gets up, imagine that water is the sin, the horrific sin of the Canaanite tribes, you know, the, the child sacrifice, the, uh, the sexual, um, the ritual sexual rape and, and whatnot. And every time those things happen, it's like, boop, 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 boop. And finally, it's complete. Finally, it's finished. Finally, God has to say, Enough. Enough is enough. 
When God says to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, to the land of the Canaanite tribes. He's saying, I am going to authorize you to wipe them out. Because my patience is at an end. I have a, uh, a short clip, lighten the mood a little bit, I hope, um, about uh, the president's dog. I think I have that clip. Yes. Okay. The dog days could be over. In a new development, Commander Biden, the president's two-year-old German shepherd, has been removed from the White House after a string of biting incidents, at least a dozen involving Secret Service personnel. Persistent questions have dogged officials. The first family is working through ways uh, to make this situation better for everyone. Last night, the first lady's communications director said in a statement, the president and first lady care deeply about the safety of those who work at the White House and those who protect them every day. Adding, commander is not presently on the White House campus while next steps are evaluated. The statement came shortly after CNN, citing multiple sources, reported that Commander has been involved in more biting incidents than previously acknowledged at the it's White a cover House. Up. NBC News has not confirmed that reporting. New this morning, a Secret Service official says the scope of biting incidents is unclear, telling NBC News, I don't know how thoroughly these are tracked. I had no visibility on the White House staff having issues. Dog behavior expert Laura Sharkey. Most dogs that are biting in these situations are actually biting out of fear. Even though they look ferocious and terrifying, the dog is they're the usually victim. afraid. Longtime White House grounds manager Dale Haney has cared for presidential pets going back to the Nixon years and is frequently seen with Commander. The White House says Haney disputed a published account that appeared to show he had been bitten. An official said Haney told them Commander was being playful and there was no bite, no pressure of teeth on his skin, no mark, just some dog slobber. Commander was a gift from the president's brother after another family pet, Major Biden, was rehomed to friends in Delaware after biting incidents of his own. Commander's fate remains uncertain. Officials tell me at this point he has not been rehomed. He's just not here today. Craig? Good luck, Commander. Kelly. Wow. What a story. Not the first dog that's, that's been biting people at the White House. I mean, really hard-hitting journalism here, which I appreciate. I, so when I was in uh, in high school, my buddy Colin had a Mastiff, like a, which is a very, very large dog, um, like a hun- hundreds of pounds, I think. And, and Sophie was her name. And one time we were at Colin's house and my buddy Brad was, uh, was like, hey, Sophie, do you want some cheese? And so he's dangling cheese in front of Sophie. He's like, you want the cheese? And she would go for it. And he's like, whoop. And if you want the cheese? We're like, Brad, maybe not a great idea. You want some cheese? And then Sophie, this monster, just clamped onto his face and goes, and then let's go. At which point she got the cheese. Loved that dog, but guess what happened to that dog after just one incident of that sort? We didn't see Sophie again. We'll put it that way. Twelve times! Commander the German Shepherd assaults a Secret Service agent. 
Do you think maybe like after the, I don't know, third time, someone would be like, there's a problem here? Surely after the fifth assault, we might think this, given that this is the second dog who's done this, someone would be like, we should, we should fix the dog problem. I mean, we don't have to kill the dog, but we should, no, no. But after the tenth time, surely we've learned our lesson. Nope. Only after the 12th violent incident involving a, a German shepherd do we think maybe we should make some changes here. And then only after the media becomes aware of it. Come on. My point is this. If, if, if you're too patient, you're inviting disaster. Biblical patience, there's, there's a limit to it. There's a point where if you keep letting the behavior go on, all you're really doing is experiencing abuse. You're enabling abuse. And it's difficult to know where the point is. It's difficult to know if it was after the third bite or the fifth bite or the tenth bite or the twelfth bite. It's hard to know, but at some point you have to say enough is enough. God does it. And we have to do it. The last thing in your note sheets, unlimited patience is dangerous. At some point, enough is enough. Now this is really, really hard because most of the time when we have a heart, when when we're extending too much patience, who are we extending it to? The people we love. The people that are closest to us. We recognize that their behavior is on a trajectory that is not good. And we keep giving them a chance. We keep giving them a chance. We keep giving them a chance. And at a certain point, we have to come to the the end to say enough is enough. So that's a couple of hard questions, right? Who? Who needs to hear it? Have you seen this? Have you experienced this? In which your patience, your forbearance, your restraint was abused. And it hurt. It hurt you. It set up a model of dysfunction for the people closest to you, your children. They saw something that was wrong, continue to go on, and you let it. And maybe more importantly, right now, Is there someone in your life that you really need to say no? And this looks different for everybody. I mean, it's, you know, it's so, it's so hard. I can't, I don't have high schoolers yet, uh, though it's getting close. Um, but I've, I've, I've spent so much time with so many of you talking about raising kids and going through uh, the teenage years. And man, it's so hard to know how best to do that. Like I, if I had all the answers, I'd give them to you, but all I can tell you is I'll walk with you through it. Um, but maybe there is somebody that's close to you that you have to stop. I just want to end on this. Um, Marilyn, no more uh, slides. The beauty of what Paul is talking about is it sets a tone for the type of people we are supposed to be as Christians. And the type of people we're supposed to be is our first response in the face of being irritated, annoyed, um, seeing people do terrible things to us or, or others. Our first response is not retaliate. Our first response is not, da, 
you've, I've had it up to here. No, our first response is to stop, to extend grace, to do to those in our lives what God did in Jesus Christ to us, to Paul. When Paul should have been smashed, God said, no, I love you. My faithfulness is never ending, and I am going to give you another chance. I am going to see you not as the man you are now, not the man or woman that we are now, but as the man or woman I know we will be on the day of glory. And that's how I'm going to treat you. It's not going to be easy. We're going to have to do some learning. There is going to have to be change. But instead of slapping you down, I'm going to embrace you again. Let's be people who embrace first. And see what kind of change comes to pass. We're going to close with the song, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be. A song of surrender. A song of saying, hey, we're going to give you, God, the first and final word. And we're going to give restraint and grace the first word with our love for each other. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your patience for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and loved us. God, we confess some of us that our, our first response in the face of, of bad behavior is to just lash out. God, for those of us who, who have been living like that, who have been living with, with power, with anger, we ask you for restraint. To, to let our first word be grace. Let our first word be restraint. Our first action, embrace. And God, some of us, we, we're really good at letting things go, but we're not really good at addressing the problems. God, give us the courage and the words and the power of your spirit, the wisdom of your spirit to address those things and to try to make change, to see people become more the way that you want them to be, to live into your glory and your goodness. And God, for some of us, uh, we've been too patient too long. We've let too many things go. And it's turned into abuse. It's turned into um, complete dysfunction. And we have to stop it. God, give us wisdom and, and mercy to know how to do that right. How to, how to let enough be enough. In all of this, God, take our lives and let them be. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.